to Mega Apologetics. Uh, I'm Jim Funkhauser, your host, and boy, do we have a special edition for you uh, today. We've got a very special guest. Uh, his name is Eric Hovind. Yes, it is that Eric Hovind, apologist extraordinaire and fantastic uh, young Earth creationist. Uh, hello, young Earth creationists are always fantastic. Before we go into that, though, I do feel I need to apologized for last episode. Um, one of uh, my listeners emailed me and informed me that there was uh, apparently a bleep. I was not swearing when that bleep uh, came on the air. That was something... My Okay, let me put it this way. I have one of my kids edit this because I don't really know how. It's not Paul, who uh, I've mentioned before. It's Actually, it's a foster kid. Uh, Jamie, he apparently thought it would be funny to insert a bleep to make it sound like I was swearing, which, of course, as you know, curse words have no place in a Christian podcast like this one. So uh, I just do feel the need to uh, apologize on Jamie's behalf. Um, He has been taken care of in the sense that he's grounded now. And his punishment is uh, to edit the next three episodes of this podcast from his closet. And uh, we're listening to the results of his new editing job as we speak. As I, I speak. I do feel, though, before we get into the interview with uh, Mr. Hoven, that I should mention the recent problems with the government shutdown because it did affect me on a, on a personal level. Um, I was personally offended by President Obama's behavior, which I thought was extremely unchristian-like. Not that he is a Christian. Get my drift. Allah! Jerome Corsi. Uh, but I thought that the Republicans did a really good job of uh, trying to, you know, keep us on the straight and narrow and uh, doing what was right, which is uh, defunding Obamacare and removing the possibility of insurance from poorer uh, freeloaders. You know, it's like I've always said, I don't give my kids uh, a godfather dime because I don't want them sucking the government teat. Uh, They can learn to eat the candy that I give them personally, which is none because candy is of Satan, they can learn to eat what I want them to eat. And that's not the kind of socialist nanny state that apparently our Democrats are are wanting to uh, institute. That's my two cents on that. Uh, I mean, seriously, what is this, Nazi Russia? It's unbelievable what Democrats think that they can get away with. But all that aside... uh, Let's get on to the uh, show. So, let's welcome Eric Hoven to the show. First, um, I would like to ask uh, how things are, are going with your ministry. Is it... Is there anything new going on? Yeah, we are really excited about everything God is doing. We've got, um, I mean, obviously every ministry has its challenge. 
challenges. There's never enough funds to, to do all the things that you want to do. Uh, so you're always looking at, okay, God, what, what, what do you want us to accomplish with what you've entrusted to us? And uh, one of the big things that we've done uh, started about two years ago, and that's this 3D movie on Genesis. It's called Genesis Movie. And uh, it's we're literally creating Genesis chapter one as a 3D movie. Uh, so this is Avatar meets Discovery Channel uh, <laughs> style, uh, just incredible to uh, to show and to declare the truth of creation, the very foundation of the uh, of the world. Oh, fantastic! Well, that sounds like a pretty expensive project too. It is. Uh, praise God, uh, he's brought along some people and some, uh, actually quite a few individuals through what we call a crowdsourcing campaign or a crowdfunding campaign. And we did a crowdfunding campaign that raised the the, uh, the necessary funds to finish the movie. We had already put two years worth of work into it and funded it to that point. And then uh, this crowdsourcing campaign over the last uh, month and a half, God has used that to bring in all the rest that we need. So it's uh it's well. I say all the rest that we need. We still need more to go to theaters, but we can actually finish the film now. So that's a real blessing. Oh yeah, and wh- where uh, where can people donate? Yeah, you can just go to genesismovie.com and check that out right there on. Uh, uh, it'll actually forward you to what's called our Indiegogo page, which is our uh, the the platform like Kickstarter that you can use to raise funds, and uh, we're raising funds right there. So it's the first chapter of, of Genesis. Yeah, we'd like to start with the first chapter and then potentially go on to uh, the second and third chapter because we'd eventually like to have from the creation all the way to the fall of mankind. So right. uh, that's you know, because that really sets up the uh, the precedence and the doctrine and uh, everything else that that the Bible uh, is you know goes on to talk about. It's all founded there in Genesis chapter one through chapter three. Do you have any release date planned at the moment? You know, since we're still in production, it's really hard to put a projected release date on it, so we're holding off on that. But uh, I can tell you, we are working as fast and as hard as we can on on uh, getting this thing accomplished, and we're really, really excited about what God's doing. Sounds like an exciting project indeed. Uh, so, of course, we've got you on today because, uh, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of my listeners here uh, have some questions about uh, evolution, and of course, you and I both agree that in order to really take the Bible seriously, we have to take Genesis seriously. And in, in order to take Genesis seriously, we do need to answer some tough questions because uh, these are questions that, that we get all the time from atheists and unbelievers of all stripes. And uh, so I've uh, collected a, a few of the more prominent questions that, that I get uh, when I'm talking about creation and handing out tracts to people and everything. Uh, so one of the questions that I've noticed gaining a lot of traction lately is this one, and it's how was there light before the stars and sun were created on the fourth day? That's that's a biggie because, it uh, you know, light's like that's right there in the beginning, but then you don't have the stars and sun until the fourth day. So what's going on there? The atheist Man. asks... Yeah, Jim, that is a great question. By the way, you're you're exactly right in uh, in the fact that we need to answer these difficult questions. Uh, one thing I want to preface it with: they're only difficult questions if you refuse to believe in the God of the Bible. And and here's what I mean: you know, how did a man walk on water? That is a really difficult question to answer, unless we accept that that man was God in human flesh and could perform miracles. 
How did men walk around a city and the walls fell down? How, that's a really difficult question unless we accept that God did that, that it was a miracle. So the same goes to creation. When we accept God, it makes perfect sense. Everything falls right into place. For example, your question, and this, by the way, is the question I would ask every single time. If I was an atheist and I met a Christian, this is where I would try to stump them. And that's what the whole, hey, how did we have light before the sun? How do we see stars that are supposedly millions of light years away and things like that? That's right where I would go. But to get right to it, how do we see light? How was the light before God made the sun, moon, and stars on day number four of creation. How is that even possible? Well, it's actually quite simple. You can actually have light without a source for the light. And let me explain that real quick. If I were to take a laser beam and shine it up to the moon, and they actually do this experiment, okay? Shine it up to the moon, and it's going to bounce off of a mirror up there that the astronauts left on the moon. We really did visit the moon, by the way. They left a mirror there, and we can shine a laser beam off of it. So they shine this laser beam up off this mirror, and then shine it, it bounces off and reflects right back here to Earth. Okay, very interesting. Now, here's what they can do, though. They can turn the laser, which is, I'm talking about, the light-producing source, on for a fraction of a second. It then sends this, uh, this laser beam up to the moon, it bounces back, and we receive it. But from about just a you know, fraction of a second after it's left the actual device, they turn that device off. So the, the, the beam, though, is still traveling up to the moon, bouncing off the mirror, and coming back. There you have light, but the source is already shut off, mm-hmm. and the light is still in process. So we need to understand that you can actually have that. That is possible. And when you think about this, the Bible says that God is light. So he doesn't need a source for the light. Then finally, I think there's another thing that's really important. In the Bible, when you look at the Hebrew there uh, in Genesis, they have a couple different words for the word light. We only have one word, light. They have several. The light bulb, we call a light. The light that it produces, we call light. So There's the source of it, and then there's what it actually produces. Mm -hmm. In Hebrew, there are a couple different words, or and meor. Or means the the actual light that's produced. Meor means the source for the light. So when you look up that passage in in Hebrews, God said, let there be light. He literally said, let there be or. In other words, let there be actual light. And then not till day four does he say, now I'm going to create a source for that light. And I think that was actually really important. I think that's God thinking ahead because look at how many cultures down through history have tried to worship the sun. I think God on purpose did this to say, look, that is not what gives you life. They worship the sun as, hey, this is the life giver. We couldn't live without this. And God wants us to know very clearly, no, 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 no. You can't live without me. It's not just about the sun. It's really about me. I am the source of life. I am the source of truth. I am the source of light. So I think that's a, a, a very important question, and you're right, Christians need to be able to answer it. And it's it's good to know that there are some really good answers out there that, that, that make perfect sense. Well, I think that that's just a wonderful example of exegesis that you just uh, gave. And I think that that uh, really, that, that, that just kind of stops that question in its tracks, uh, especially with the Oren Mayor uh, differentiation. Uh, I would love to get my hands on a Bible that is just 
half footnotes, <laughs> you know, where, where it's, it's, it's got, uh, you know, where it has these footnotes for people like myself who admittedly can't read uh, Hebrew or, or Greek. Um, <laughs> there is some good news there if you want it. Uh, the founder of the creation movement was Henry Morris, mm, oh, yes. a great godly man. He actually did a Bible and put all his creation footnotes in a Bible called the Defenders Study Bible. And so that's actually one that we we uh, that we make available at creationstore.org. You can actually go to creationstore.org, search in the search box for Bibles, and you're going to see the Henry Morris Defenders Study Bible, which is a phenomenal, it's the one I use. I actually use two different ones, uh, but that's one of the ones I use. And uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal resource on being able to... Um, uh, learn these little facts about creation and, and uh, being able to interpret scripture properly. Wonderful. Well, I will, uh, I will link to that uh, so that the listeners can check that out if they so desire. One of the, the big ones is, is this, uh, you know, you have people like Methuselah and, and uh, uh, various, you know, um, figures in the earliest books of the Old Testament living hundreds of years and of course we look around now and someone who lives to a hundred is incredibly lucky uh, or unlucky as the case may be i suppose but you know what happened there i mean how were they able to live so long yeah that is a great question and one that i get all the time uh and this is actually let me count it here this is my 975th time to answer this question um <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. The, uh, how did people live to be so old, though? I mean, we, we clearly see that Scripture teaches people lived older. Now, if you actually add up all the dates and divide it out by the number of people, on average, the age before the flood came was 912, 912 years, years old. old. This is pre-flood, before the flood happened. 912 was the average. You mentioned Methuselah. He was the oldest at 969. Mm -hmm. So we've got, we've got, you know, Quite a long age span there. Now, here's what some skeptics will say, just so you know. Some skeptics say, oh, man, they didn't really live to be that old. They counted every month as a year. So to get their real age, you have to divide by 12. Well, you study scripture for just a few minutes, and you'll discover that that cannot be the case. Because a couple of people were, uh, were 65 years old when they had children. Enoch was 65 when he had Methuselah. So if Enoch was 65, take that, divide it by 12, that means he was five and a half years old when he became a dad. <laughs> no, they did not count every month as a year. They really did live to be over 900 years old. And, and here's some of that. Some of that is God's blessing. God originally created man absolutely perfect. I mean, think about it. There was no genetic load, no deformed chromosomes, nothing like what we have today. Today, the reason you can't marry any closer than your second cousin legally is because of the problems that occur in your children. You start getting some really weird things happening. Now, I don't know where you're at, Jim, but I'm down here in Pensacola, Florida, and we've got what they call rednecks. <laughs> and uh, that's what happens when you marry too close in the family. If your family tree doesn't branch and it's a straight pole, then, then you get rednecks. But... Uh, <laughs> We uh, don't worry. I, I got my bow and arrow, and I, I just uh, was, I shot something just the other day. So I'm starting to fit into that fit into that category. The bottom line is, God originally made it perfect. There was no problems. Uh, so that answers another question. By the way, who did Adam's sons marry? 
Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Then they had Seth. Who did they marry? Well, they had to marry sisters. The Bible says Adam lived after he begat Seth 800 years and begat sons and daughters. So Adam had a lot of kids. Uh, Adam and Eve had a lot of kids. So they had to marry sisters, but it was no problem. There was no genetic load. There were no laws against it. So under these conditions, with a, with a perfect human body, you would live a lot longer. Not to mention something was different before the flood. The flood triggered a change in the environment and a change in people. Uh, and literally after the flood, God said, you know, hey, my, my spirit is not going to fight with man's spirit like this all the time. And uh, he said, I'm going to limit the number of days a man lives. And immediately after the flood, we've actually got a chart. You can look it up on our, on our website or get, you know, get one yourself at creationstore.org. It's called the longevity chart where we've graphed out all the, the, the names and the ages of these people and put it on a graph so it shows from Adam all the way down to Abraham how long people lived. Well, when you look at this chart, you can see right when the flood happened, lifespans dropped off instantly. They went down from 900 halfway down to 400. Then within a couple generations, within two or three generations, they were down to 200. And then within two or three or four generations, they were down to 100. So literally within just a couple of generations, maybe 10 generations, average lifespan went from 900 down to less than 100. And today, what you said, if you make it to 100, you are either blessed or cursed or one of the others. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, you know, uh, there's a really a great apologist by the name of Dr. Mike Larrakis who uh, had a show, a podcast there for a while as well called Evidence for Faith. And uh, he had a what I thought was a really great hypothesis on how people started living for shorter and shorter times. And that was, uh, you know, he talks about evolution, how evolution, really there is no evolution, there's, there's devolution. Um, yeah, there is no, we are not getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he points to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the disease progeria, it's horrible disease, uh, but it's essentially you have young kids, you know, 10 years old, uh, but really there's cellular information, everything about them is is such that they're more like 80 years old, and so they, they you know, don't live yeah. very long at all, and uh, it's a genetic yeah. defect, and so his uh, theory was that maybe uh, somewhere post-flood, a certain kind of progeria-like defect took hold due to the fall of man. And so I thought that this was uh, something worth checking out, and I think that there's, a, there's something there, you know. It's an ingenious uh, way of looking at it, and it makes sense in light of the evidence. Yeah, very interesting, and definitely the fall of man is what started something. But we certainly don't see the age of people affected until the flood, and that was you know sixteen hundred years later. So definitely something. I mean, at the fall of man, definitely something happened. I mean, we we've got you know um, death began at the fall of man. You don't have sin until death, according to scripture. So that started there, and uh, but something else triggered at the time of the flood. Uh, whether that was this progeria starting then uh, versus at the at the fall when God cursed everything uh, or not, I'm not sure. But uh, obviously, there's a different environment. There's a different climate after the flood. Before the flood, everybody ate veg, uh, vegetables. The Bible said, and everything, uh, all the green plants and the herbs and the seeds I have given to you for meat. In other words, that's what you eat. So people didn't eat animals before the flood. After the flood, God gave them permission to eat meat. 
but they didn't have that permission before the flood. So there's obviously some major changing taking place at the time of the flood. Exactly. Well, we're going to take a quick break and go to uh, This Week in God's America. This Week in God's America, Abraham Lincoln said, It is not possible for there ever in the United States of America to be a separation between God and government because God is the source of every single right which government has a sacred duty to protect. Not a single one of our unalienable rights will be safe in the hands of a president who believes that we evolved from slime and we are the descendants of apes and baboons. Look at the nation-states in the 20th century which rejected the creator god of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, and Communist China. The one thing all of these secular states share in common is dead bodies. And that comes from Abraham Lincoln. This week in God's America. And now we're back. So uh, we're going to go to uh, to another question that I got from a fan, which I, I thought was a very interesting one. Um, what would you say that the truth of special creation tells us about the role of women? Obviously, you have Eve being the first to eat of the apple and then convincing Adam to do so. And then that instigates the, the fall. But what do you think... If anything, this tells us about men and women. Does this imply some sort of complementarian view or egalitarian or yeah. patriarchal? I think I think it means you should never, ever, ever listen to a woman. I'm just kidding. I don't believe that. Um, no, when we look at this, though, we see very clearly the reason God made Eve. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And boy, was he right on that. Man, it is, I've been married for 14 years. It's not good that man should be alone. He said, I'm going to make him a help meet for him. In other words, suitable for him. So the reason God made Eve was to become a fulfiller, a partner. We see very clearly that uh, from Scripture, God made Eve out of one of Adam's ribs, which is another very interesting thing. There's only one bone in the human body that will grow back. It will rejuvenate, and that is the lower rib. And I just find that fascinating that that one bone will grow back where no other bone will. He took Eve, he took the, the rib from his side. In other words, to be his companion. He didn't take it from his foot. And what, she is not something that, that man is to rule over, or that a man is to rule over. We're not, we're not putting her in subjection under us. And I, and I, I grew up in, in a Christian home, but I'd say some of the churches that we went to when I grew up had a pretty misunderstanding of women and really put them down as something to be subjective to man, rather than, like God originally intended, partners with man. Uh, now, obviously, there's a role between who's going to be accountable to God. We understand that, but we're we're partners in this. Uh, he did, didn't make Eve from you know from Adam's head uh, or his hand, you know, to to rule over with his hand or his fist. It's from his side. Very clearly, the role of women is to be our partners, our helpers, our completers. So. Uh, I think uh, right there at the very beginning of the Bible, you get some great doctrine on the truth of, like you said, the role of women. Uh, we are to work in partnership with them. Now, in marriage, we know that uh, the husband, the man, is going to be the one that's ultimately responsible to God. God has a hi hierarchy of responsibility, yes. and the man is ultimately responsible to God. 
but that does not mean that the man has the right to, um, well, let me just put it this way. I think, I think many people today, and I don't know what the, your listeners view of submission is, but I think a lot of people say, well, the woman should submit to the husband and they fail to recognize, you know, right there with that same passage, it says, and husbands submit to your wives. It's not a one submitting to the other. It's both of us submitting to each other, and that's a proper and, and biblical understanding. Yeah. And to God, exactly right. Of course, exactly. I mean, you also, we, we can't uh, overlook 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35, where Paul does tell us that women ought to be subservient, at least in the church setting. I mean, after all, we say amen, not a women. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, you, I think you and I would both advocate a complementarian view as opposed to a patriarchal view is what i'm guessing from this i'm not familiar with those terms so i i, I guess i couldn't say patriarchal patriarchal is basically you know it's very uh, sort of very pure old testament man rules over all complementarian is that men and women are different but they complement each other and so the, it's exactly what you said you know the, the man submits to the woman and the woman submits to the man Ultimately, the man is the final arbiter. That's just what we find in the Bible. But Exa yes, yes, I would agree with that. But yeah, exactly. So I, I, we're on the same page there, and that is, uh, I believe, a theologically sound position. And uh, yeah, I think, certainly. Uh, most most theologians would agree with me on that. But uh, but yeah, I thought that that was a very interesting question, and uh, th this is one that I think is particularly important for us as uh, uh, young Earth creationists and. and that's this. Why Why should Christians reject old earth creationism? <laughs> Man, that's, I'll tell you, that's something that I get all the time. What about this whole old earth versus young earth? Is it true that the, the young earth creationists are just these idiots that don't accept science? And I got to tell you, I know a number, I mean lots of PhD uh, um scientists that are in the field studying biology and zoology and baromenology and all these different fields and they say no the evidence is clear the bible teaches a young earth now just about i can't say everybody because they don't all but just about everybody will recognize that a clear simple understanding of scripture is that the earth is only a few thousand years old they would, it's, it's very easy to point out. That's obviously what they mean. When Jesus himself gives us the genealogies there in Matthew, and we know that here's what led up to Jesus Christ, and we have all these genealogies, and who begat who, and the whole point of Jesus Christ was that he is the last Adam. And, and we can trace his genealogy both from Mary, his mother, and Joseph, even though it's not his biological father, the, the husband of Mary, both of their lineages go back right through the line of King David and right back through Solomon and all the way back so that you see not only was Jesus Christ the rightful heir, he was literally the descendant of Adam himself, the very first man. The first man, Adam, is the one who brought sin into the world. The last man, Jesus Christ, is the one that conquered sin. So, when you look at the theology and the doctrines in Scripture, you have to go from Jesus back to a literal Adam and a literal Eve. You can't go back to a descendant of an ape and be consistent with Scripture. By the way, the only reason people add millions of years to the Bible and have old earth creation, as they call it, or theistic evolution, the only reason to do that 
is to try to add millions of years to the Bible. And it's so unnecessary. The earth is not millions of years old. There are hundreds of clear evidences that the earth is only a few thousand years old. So, no, the old earth position is not a biblically coherent position. Jesus Christ himself, in his own words, said, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? So he says very clearly, look, at the very beginning, I made Adam and Eve. And that even in the old earth creation model does not agree with that. And so they wouldn't agree with what Jesus said. And Jesus is the same one that rose from the dead. And when a guy raises from the dead, and he's the one who says something, I'm believing whatever he says, okay? I'm just trusting him. Amen. (laughs) We have an atheist listener, probably more than one, but I got a question from uh, one of them, and it's an interesting one. He asks, how do we know that our young earth interpretation of the Bible is correct? Yeah, great question. That really comes down to epistemology. How do we even know anything? How do we know what we know? And this is a problem in the atheist worldview because the atheist worldview must admit that they can't know anything to be certain. Of course, I would ask, are you certain of that? And they would say yes. So it's a logically incoherent and indefensible position if you're an atheist, just to let you know. You can't tell me how you know one thing to be certain, let alone whether or not my interpretation of the Bible uh, is is correct or is certain. So they have a very uh, big problem when it comes to epistemology. Yeah, we I know things because with certainty because we've got the Bible. You know that's God. Well, yeah, word. it's revelation from God. Exactly right. We could not know anything if it were just on our own. We would be in the atheist worldview. But everybody, including the atheist, has revelation from God. Everybody knows things. God has revealed things to us. He says that in Romans chapter 1 very clearly. Everybody knows God exists. So even the atheist that claims he doesn't know anything, he knows things. He's denying what he's saying by saying uh, he doesn't know anything. So so how do we know that our young earth interpretation is correct? Oh, God makes us know. God literally makes that clear. uh, As uh, the, the, you know, from scripture, from revelation, that's what it teaches. You say, well, you have to take that on faith. Absolutely. Well, at the end of the day, all of us have to take things on faith. The atheist believes that he exists based on faith in his reasoning and faith in his senses. I have faith, but instead of stopping with my reasoning and senses, which is a viciously circular argument, I say, I'm going to step outside of my realm, and I'm going to go into God's realm, and I have faith in God, not just my ability to reason or my senses to draw conclusions. I have faith in the creator of the universe, and that takes it into a virtuous, virtuously circular uh, argument, and that is actually a valid argument versus the viciously circular argument of an unbeliever or of an atheist, which is not a valid form of argumentation when you study that out. Absolutely. Um, but then this is um, another question from, uh, from a listener, and it's something that I've heard quite a bit as well. Doesn't the Bible say that the earth is flat? Uh, you see uh, you, you see allusions to the four corners of the earth in Isaiah 11:12 and the Revelation 7:1. Um, so so what's up with that? We accept a, a spherical earth. So are we being cafeteria Christians by accepting a spherical <laughs> earth? While rejecting those verses, no, we actually don't even reject those verses that talk about the four corners of the earth. We still use that kind of terminology today. 
it would be like any time if that same person that said, "Well, do you believe the Earth is flat?" If I said, "Do you believe that the sun rises in the morning?" and they say, "Yeah," and I say, "Oh, yeah," oh, because technically the sun doesn't rise; the Earth spins. Right. So technically, the phraseology "sunrise" and "sunset" is not technically correct, but it does give a description from where we're at. And the same thing is taking place here when it talks about the four corners of the earth. It's talking about north, south, east, and west. It's talking about the compass. It's talking about general knowledge as it pertains to us exactly the way that we would see it. So, no, there's no problem with the Bible saying the four corners of the earth because in other places it talks about how God sits upon the circle of of the earth. The Bible is very clear that the earth is a sphere, and they've known this for thousands of years. Uh, it's never really, I know we learned in school that, uh, oh, people used to think the earth was flat. Did you know that's really not the case? Yes. They've always known that the earth is round, and anybody who says they used to teach that the earth is flat is actually mistaken in what they're being taught and what they're teaching others. Uh, they've always known, even, what was it, two to 400 years before Christ, I'm going to forget the guy's name, that looked down in the well. He heard that there was a well at some point uh, on the earth where you could look down and see your reflection at a certain time of the year. And based on that, and based on measurements from that, he deduced that the earth was, um, I believe he said, 7,900 miles in diameter. He was literally very, very close to the actual circum uh, diameter and therefore circumference of the earth, just based on mathematics that he did. So, no, uh, the Bible does not teach the earth is flat, and uh, actually nobody did. Uh, that is uh, that is a, a made up uh, fairy tale that is that is going around now. But uh, the Bible clearly teaches the earth is round, and yes, I believe the earth is round. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Do you have any uh, particular uh, issues that you want to bring up that maybe you've gotten that uh, we didn't address? You know, one of the big things that I hear um, people try to do, and this is what I want us as Christians. So this is to all the believers out there. I want you to be very careful that. That when you are defending your faith in God, which is what you're commanded to do, by the way, you know, Peter tells us, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So Peter, by the way, he was a fisherman, I mean, not exactly known for their high IQ or their great theological training. Here, a fisherman tells you and I, we need to be ready to give an answer for what we believe in. So you need to be able to do that, okay? Uh, and that's commanded by God. If you don't know how to do that, we're here to help. Creationtoday.org, tons of videos, articles, resources to help you learn how to defend your faith. But while you're defending your faith, I need you to understand something. It is not our job, nor should we, put the Lord of glory on trial. That's not our job. There are many people that come to us with questions, and in reality... Real, uh, th their questions are designed to give them an excuse to reject God. They don't really want an a answer. And I want you to be very careful and understand where the person is coming from before you give your answer or your apologetic, your defense of the faith. Because some people ask questions simply to mock God. That's where the Bible comes in and says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says, there are some questions that you should avoid because they're going to just gender, they're just going to uh, uh, produce arguments. So avoid those questions. So be very careful in your apologetic that God is not on trial. You don't try a king, you submit to the king. 
So I would say uh, just a little word of, uh, of advice. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That doesn't go over very well. Uh, so, yeah, don't put God on trial. Uh, instead, show the foolishness, like uh, Proverbs 26.5 says, answer a cool according to his folly so that he's not wise in his own eyes. Show them that their worldview doesn't even make sense. Like what we did just a minute ago with knowledge, epistemology. How do we know anything? The atheist says we don't know anything. One of their heroes, Bertrand Russell, even said, hey, I don't even know if what I think I'm seeing is actually happening. He said it this way. He said, we have no way to tell if the perceptual images inside of us reveal the perceptual images outside of us. We've got no way to tell if what we think we're seeing is actually happening. That's the conclusion of the atheist worldview. You can't know anything. That's not a logical conclusion. That defies logic. So on its very start, atheism fails. And when you point that out to an atheist, it can be very powerful. Now, instead of saying, yes, you can reason, yes, you do know things, uh, let me teach you about God, you're saying, hang on, you're the one telling me you don't know anything. I mean, think about it. how hard is it to win a debate with somebody when you ask them, hey, could you be wrong about everything you think you know? And they say, yep. Okay, well, then the debate is over. They've just admitted they have zero knowledge. They don't know anything to be absolutely true. And yet they're about to argue, they're about to debate what they believe is true. That doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. I don't understand when I see debates between Christians and atheists, why the Christians don't just sort of start out with, hey, by the way, I win, uh, because they do. Uh, it's simply by exactly. virtue of being a Christian, you know, because, because <laughs> we have God's revelation on our side. That's, uh, you can't, I can't yeah. argue with that. And it is so true that the statement, atheism presupposes theism. In order for the atheist to even make his argument, God must exist. So atheism presupposes theism. And the irony is that Bertrand Russell was a logician. Mm, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> That's exactly right. And he knew he could not resolve these conflicts. He said, look, we cannot resolve these. It's impossible without God. Yep. Yep. Well, he got. I guess he got something right. Yeah, he did get that right, yeah. And the problem with, like, Bertrand Russell, who became, uh, later in life, became a deist, he said, okay, there has to be a God. Oh, the problem I, is... I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, wasn't that Bertrand Russell? Yeah, Bertrand... Um, are, are you thinking of Anthony? Oh, I'm thinking... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was thinking... Oh, you're fine, you're fine. Yeah, I, mean, I apologize, got that mixed up. <laughs> but yeah, yes, so Anthony, anyway, Anthony, Anthony Flew, yeah, became a deist, uh, and the problem is he's in hell right now if he didn't repent and trust in Christ as a Savior, so... Come, going from an uh, atheist to a deist means nothing. The, the problem is you really have to start with the God of the Bible before you can even reason. And people say, well, I can reason and I don't start with the God of the Bible. No, you're denying your actual starting point. That would be like saying, hey, I can breathe just fine and I don't believe in air. <laughs> no, <laughs> saying you don't believe in air doesn't mean that you're not using air all the while. Absolutely. So they're using the God of the Bible while denying the God of the Bible. Yeah. One more question, because this is a this is a popular one. Were the dinosaurs around in Jesus's day? <laughs> Great question. Yeah, what about these dinosaurs? Um, you want me to give you? Can I? Can I? Can I give you like the uh, the the one minute little kapow about dinosaurs Absolutely. here? All right, here it is. The word dinosaur is a brand new word invented in 1841. 
Before they were ever known as dinosaurs, before they started digging up the bones to them, they were always referred to as dragons. You can look all through history, yes, even at the time of Jesus Christ, and see evidence of dragons, which were literally dinosaurs. The, di the word dinosaur means terrible lizard or big lizard. Here's the deal. Reptiles grow their entire life. They never, ever stop growing. Well, what would some reptiles look like back in the Garden of Eden conditions, the pre-flood conditions? People were living to be over 900 years old. Animals would have lived to be a lot older as well. So what would some reptiles look like if you let them live to be 900 years old and they never stopped growing? Oh boy, you would have what they call a terrible lizard, a dinosaur. So really the dinosaurs were big lizards that lived in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They were all in the ark with Noah. Some people say, wait a minute, the dinosaurs were huge. <laughs> well, only the, only the huge ones were. The ones that weren't huge weren't huge. So Noah was right. smart enough to know, and you, you know, take babies. Think, you could, oh, yeah, take babies, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just make sure and get a pink one and a blue one. That'll be important later. But uh, <laughs> you take babies on the ark, no problem. So dinosaurs were in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They were on the ark with Noah. And they've lived consistently with man. Matter of fact, if you get a 1946 dictionary and look up the word dragon, it says, now rare. In other words, they're still around, but there aren't many left. <laughs> obviously, we have been duped into believing this idea that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago, when obviously they did not. When you find fresh blood uh, in a, in, uh, you know, inside a dinosaur bone and soft tissue inside a bone that is supposedly millions of years old, 65 million years old, that defies all logic. You need to throw your theory about it being millions of years old out the window and accept the truth of God's word that God created everything about 6,000 years ago. 4,400 years ago, there was a flood that destroyed the world. And now here we are today. Uh, thankfully, Christ came, died the death of the cross 2,000 years ago. And now here we are today waiting for the return of Christ. And that is, uh, that is the gospel truth that you need to accept. And you need to trust in Christ as your Savior uh, to pay the penalty for sin. Otherwise, you're going to pay that penalty yourself. And it's not going to be fun. That is true. The penalty that is. That is very, very true. <laughs> but it's just it's you know it's sad because obviously it's so obvious that you know all of this is true that the Earth is young that the dinosaurs were around until not too long ago and maybe are still around if you count uh, some of the sightings that uh, of the Mokila Mbimbi uh, in Africa yeah. uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Um, and the pterosaurs and the the pterosaurs and stuff like that that are that are seen in Papua New Guinea these the fl big giant they call them the big flying bat I mean it's it's a pterosaur a pterodactyl type creature yeah exactly I think that uh, yeah. uh, creationists should actually maybe uh, do more work in cryptozoology I think that that would be uh, productive there's a friend of mine Dave Wetzel he's got a a website called Genesis Park and he's actually been to more places on the globe searching for these animals and, and getting the stories firsthand, it blew my mind. He just finished a book called Chronicles of Dinosauria, where he traces all these places he's been, gives all the latest scientific information and all the latest um, stories on these animals. It is phenomenal. So Dave Wetzel from GenesisPark.com would be a great resource for you. And his new book is available at the Creation Store, creationstore.org, and it's called Chronicles of Dinosauria, and it is making some pretty big waves because it's just packed with content, gr really well laid out, kid-friendly as well, and teaches the absolute truth about dinosaurs, and it's just incredible. Wonderful. I'll definitely have to check that out then. Those are all the questions that I have on my end.
Awesome. Well, man, Jim, thank you so much for letting me join well, you today well, on this, uh, on this podcast. Thank you for coming on. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll link to the Creation Store as well as your website uh, on the blog, and we'll hopefully keep in touch. Well, that sounds great, Jim. God bless you. Look forward to the next opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Megapologetics. Use of stripers to H with the devil used under fair use usage.